Welcome to Worldview Short Stories, hosted by Isaac Ciccarelli and Jaden Stewart. Hello everyone. Today we have Levi Bouch reading his story, Burying Bigfoot. Was there an art to grave digging? Perhaps a trade secret that made it a bit easier, cleaner? I pondered this as I tossed shovelfuls of dirt over my shoulder, working at what was becoming a decidedly uncorp-shaped hole. It would have to do, I supposed. You couldn't expect a very ceremonious funeral when there was no civilization for a couple hundred miles, and the only attendees were a sympathetic stranger and the deranged lunatic who brought about your death. The poor bastard would have to settle for a shallow, informal burial deep in the New Hampshire forest. Was there an art to this? Insufficient information, I supposed. This was, in fact, my first time digging a grave, and I could only hope it would be my last. A second question floated into my mind then. I was surprised to learn that grave digging, even at the amateur level, lent itself to introspection. I wondered in the classic style of the ill-fated protagonist, how did I get here? One week earlier. My cell phone hit the brick wall across the alley with a satisfying crack, falling in shattered pieces to the dumpster below. A woman walking the sidewalk stopped to stare in confusion, presumably wondering, as I'm sure you are, why I had just thrown a perfectly good phone from my third-story apartment window. I'll admit it doesn't exactly paint me in the most reasonable light, but in the moment, having just received a call from Evelyn, the last call from Evelyn, it seemed the appropriate response. Evelyn was my fiancé, the operative word being was. Apparently, just feeling like we've lost the spark is a perfectly good reason to break off an engagement. Well, the lost spark coupled with a long list of other problems I learned about upon trying to argue the point. Evidently, all I ever want to do is stay locked in my apartment writing, and I always drink the same cheap coffee, and I wear the same old clothes even though some of them have holes, and I always choose the same restaurant on date nights even though there's that cute new place that we haven't tried yet, and I popped the question on a cloudy day at a baseball game and what the hell kind of proposal is that anyway? And thus, the throwing of the phone. Later that night, as I slouched in front of my laptop, eyeing my blank Word document with disgust, I decided that I needed to get out of town. A vacation, perhaps. I sipped dejectedly from a, cheap, from a cup of cheap pot coffee, now cold, and began browsing beaches and resorts. This was a bad call, as I was well aware I didn't have the funds for a trip. My writing hadn't been selling much lately, probably because I hadn't written much lately. Freelance journalism was a volatile business. I'd sold pieces to the Times and my work had been read by millions, but my bank account didn't seem to have gotten the memo. A dry spell in writing had dire implications for my budget, and given that I currently felt wholly and completely uninspired in the writing department, the odds of this drought ending soon seemed slim. Suddenly, in some demented twist of fate, I received an email from an old college peer. Richard Applegate was one of those people who spoke at all times as if he was intimating the most profound and revelatory thought in history. I almost think he believed every word from his lips was a gift to everyone listening. I had never really gotten along with Richard, but then again I hadn't spoken to him much at all, making his sudden email a mysterious development. It read, Dale, I, know I haven't noticed any new work from you lately. What a shame. I saw this opportunity and thought perhaps you were in need of it more than I. Ha ha. From the desk of R.G. Applegate, writer, thinker, dreamer. This short message was followed by a link, which I reluctantly clicked, having no idea what to expect, but sure the result would be an extension of the condescension in the email. Sure enough, I was greeted by an amateurish, bare-bones webpage. 
in search of an adventurous writer to join me on an adventure on a wilderness quest. Duties to chronicle my adventures in poetic form for future publication at my own discretion. The quest, a journey through the New Hampshire forest in search of the elusive creature Bigfoot. Good pay, all travel expenses covered. Contact me if you think you are up to the task. An email address was listed at the bottom of the page. On any other night, I would laugh this off, shake my head at Applegate's pomposity, and put it out of my mind. But tonight, as I sat dejectedly in a dim and lonely apartment, with no fiancé and no money, things were different. This absurd proposition seemed to me inexplicably right, heaven-sent even. There it was, an uncannily specific answer to my problem. I felt almost duty-bound to continue down the darkly comedic road onto which my life had veered. The worst I could do was give it a shot. Elton John's voice was slowly being overtaken by static, so I reluctantly switched off my car radio. If I was reading my paper map, purchased following the cell phone incident, correctly, I was almost to my destination anyway. The email response had been prompt, brief, and enigmatic. Yes, position still available. Interview tomorrow, 11 a.m., one wilder drive. As I eased off the mountain highway and onto wilder drive, I began to understand the strange address. There was seemingly only one house on wilder drive. The road itself continued for about a hundred yards before ending in a cul-de-sac, a single driveway branching off to the left. This driveway continued up a steep incline, heavily forested on both sides. It was relentlessly curvy to the point where I imagined it had to be some purposeful joke. At last, the curve subsided, I rounded a final corner, and the house came into view. I would later pinpoint this moment as the first of many foolish mistakes I would make over the following few days. I should have turned the car around the second I saw the house of my potential employer. Two things were immediately obvious. First, judging by the size of the house, this mystery man was rich. However, the appearance of the house inspired a second observation. This was the kind of person who shouldn't be rich. People often throw around the expression, so much money he doesn't know what to do with it. In this case, however, it would seem that this man knew exactly what he wished to do with his money. He wanted to build a frighteningly ugly house. It was pink, for one. At least, most of it was. Additions on the east and west of the building were painted entirely in orange and green, respectively. The architectural vision was equally questionable, something akin to the love child of a log cabin and the Sydney Opera House. Windows alternated in both size and shape, and the roof seemed to be going for a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde effect. My foot involuntarily pressed the brake as I took all of this in before proceeding cautiously but idiotically undaunted. A brief idea that perhaps this was all a prank created by Applegate flashed in my mind, but this seemed far-fetched. Who was I kidding? This was far-fetched no matter how you looked at it. My life had become a twisted fairy tale of sorts. As uneasy as I was with this strange development, it distracted me from Evelyn, and it just might cure my writer's block. I continued to the house. The front door was at least 15 feet high, adorned with a bouquet of long dead flowers. I brought my hand hesitantly to the door, pausing with my knuckles a half-inch from the wood to contemplate whether I truly wanted to proceed. The decision was made for me, as the door swung open unknocked, and I got my first glimpse of my prospective employer. He was short, barely reaching the door handle on tiptoes. Smiling at at me warmly and far too intensely for comfort, he extended his stubby fingers and grasped mine in an awkward, enthusiastic handshake. "'Edwin Winterman at your service?' Edwin spoke in a near yell, and his attire communicated a similar energy." He wore a bright purple suit with a golden bow tie and rumpled brown top hat. 
It reminded me of something I couldn't quite place. He was old, probably early 60s, but his eyes sparkled. It's uh, very nice to meet you, sir. I'm Dale, Dale, Ev Dale Everett. I'm here for the interview. Yes, 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 yes. Come right in. Uh, thank you. Follow me, young man. Oh, you can leave your shoes on. Haven't swept in ages. Floor's dirty. Damn dirty. He wasn't lying. Nevertheless, I couldn't help feeling more put off by the interior of the house itself than its cleanliness. As Edwin led me through his sizable home, I was surprised to find the color palette even more garish than the exterior. In each room, the walls varied in hue, yet always managed to create an uncannily hideous contrast. Finally, we reached what I assumed to be the study. This room was lined with bookshelves, which were empty, except for several encyclopedia volumes, all different publications, all letter B. They're wrong about him, you know, Edwin yelled. Excuse me? All of them are wrong about Bigfoot. None of them believe, say he's an urban legend. Ha! <laughs> Explain that one to me. Biggs ain't even urban, more of a forest dweller. Oh, <laughs> I managed as Edwin winked. He took a seat behind a large wooden desk, gesturing for me to sit across from him. But I know you're a believer, Dale. Otherwise, you wouldn't be interested in this job. Well, um, y yes, I'm very interested, I said, as this seemed to be the safest route. So, you write? Yes, sir, I'm a writer. Poetry? Edwin asked, hopefully, eyebrows raised. I realized that the interview had somehow begun already, and I straightened in my chair. Well, no. I mean, yes, I've written poetry before, but mostly I write articles. Edwin grunted and scribbled something down on a scrap of paper. You an outdoorsman? Yes, I love the outdoors. This was a lie. Edwin nodded, again scribbling something down. Willing to live away from everything, including cell service, for a few weeks? Absolutely. This time I was being sincere. With Evelyn out of the picture, I'd love nothing more than to get away from everyone and everything for a while. Besides, I was currently out of cell phone anyway. You ever do any hunting for bigs yourself? Um, yes, yes, a few times, but never in something as serious or as in-depth as this. Lie. Just so you're aware, I'm of the camp that aims to kill the creature. Some dimwits aim to capture it alive, but Biggs is far too dangerous for that. Bring back his body and put it in a museum, that's what I say. Are we of similar thinking on this matter? Uh, yes, couldn't agree more. Edwin nod nodded approvingly. You think you'd be up to this task? Edwin stared at me seriously, pen poised above the paper again, ready to judge my answer. Do you truly think you could capture in writing the highs, the lows, the joyous struggle of hunting Bigfoot, perhaps even capturing Bigfoot? It's a serious task for a writer. This may be the most important written account in modern history if we accomplish our goal. Yes, yes, I do. I believe, Mr. Winterman, that I am your man. Edwin nodded thoughtfully, scribbling down a final note. One final question, Dale. Do you like my drawing? He extended the scrap paper he'd been taking notes on, revealing a childish drawing of a human head being gnawed on by a large-footed hairy beast. It's you! Edwin laughed jovially. Ah, little nonsense is relished now and then by even the wisest men, am I right? I was at a loss for words. Willy Wonka! It's a quote from the movie, Edwin explained enthusiastically. Suddenly I realized why his outfit looked familiar. This is another moment I would later kick myself for. When reliving the scene in my head, I imagined apologizing for the inconvenience, politely asking to leave, and fleeing. I probably would have if Edwin hadn't interrupted to say I was hired. Really? You betcha! Let's talk pay. Since we'll be a considerable distance from the nearest bank, I suppose you'll accept cash? Um, yes, I suppose. 
Alright, two-week journey, written accounts, preferably poetic, of my exploits in searching out the Sasquatch to be updated daily in detail. As far as your payment, let's say 2000 a day? My shock must have been visible because Edwin quickly added, Is that too little? Never hired someone for something like this before. Uh, no, no, that sounds fair. Wonderful. Did you bring your gear with you? Gear? Not a problem, you can use mine. Let's start loading up some backpacks, Dale. Uh, when exactly are we leaving on this expedition? Well, I was hoping right now, but you know you're quite right, Dale. We should probably wait until after lunch. <clears throat> I found myself one miserable night's sleep later, being woken by my tent collapsing on top of me. Sorry, so sorry, didn't mean to bump you there, Edwin yelled from outside. Groaning, I at length untangled myself from the tent and shivered. It was barely the second day of the expedition, and I was already questioning whether 2000 a day was really worth it. At the top of my list of concerns was the fact that I was wearing a purple suit jacket. Edwin had supplied me with clothing and wilderness gear, and it turned out the vast majority of his attire was Willy Wonka-themed. A word of wisdom gained by experience, never trust someone who owns multiple costumes of a diagnosably insane movie character. Morning, partner! Edwin was decked out in an outdoorsman-themed Wonka outfit, the suit a camouflage pattern consisting entirely of varying shades of purple. He tossed me a protein bar. Breakfast, eat up, and then we'll get hunting again. As we walked through miles of forested wilderness, Edwin explained to me that he had been on many solo trips in these woods before, each bringing him closer to Bigfoot. This is the time, though. I can feel it. That's why I hired you. This is one for the history books, my friend. One for the stop! I reeled, almost falling flat on my back as Edwin gripped my arm, staring at the ground in front of us. He dropped to the dirt, eyeing the forest floor before carefully picking something up between his fingers. As he brought it closer, I identified a tuft of animal fur. It's him, Bigfoot, Edwin whispered excitedly. Write this down, write this down. I decided against mentioning that it could, be, that it could easily be any number of forest creatures, instead dutifully removing my journal and pen. Day two, we have discovered, I mumbled as I jot down the words, jotted down the words, poetic, keep it poetic, um, this solitary tuft of fur lying among the brush, a lone scrap of evidence that the Sasquatch was here. Good, Edwin grinned, don't forget to mention me. The resolute hunter, eyes like a hawk, spots the signs of the Bigfoot hidden in the brush. Edwin didn't seem to catch my recycled wording. Brilliant. Knew I made the right choice with you, Dale. Keep that up. I want pages on pages of that stuff. Again, I was seriously doubting whether taking this job was a good idea. I hadn't then reached my breaking point, the moment where I would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was not worth it, but it was coming. Three days later, Edwin declared that we were at last on his tail. I, of course, perceived nothing that would indicate this, but I wasn't such a seasoned hunter as he was. Everything was a clue to Bigfoot's recent presence, from a trampled plant to a fallen piece of bark. Edwin constantly wondered how I could be so unobservant, but I was busy wondering how exactly we would make it back. I had a compass, so I at least had a sense of direction, but at this point we could be a hundred miles from civilization, and we only had so many more protein bars. Edwin was consistently imploring me to write more Bigfoot poetry, a process which I found torturous. I had been looking for something to break my writer's block, and this was certainly not that thing. My job was essentially to alternate between several different titles I had, I had invented for Bigfoot, that elusive creature, the furry fiend, and throw in a few poetic allusions to the events of the day. 
I knew that this was the worst work I had ever done, but Edwin was satisfied, and he was good for the two grand a day. My backpack was filling up with wads of cash. I can almost smell the bastard, Edwin said, sniffing the air with a crazed look. We're close. Sure enough, the next day we found Bigfoot. It was mid-morning, and for once I was actually enjoying the beauty of the forest. Sunlight bathed the treetops and split into thin bright spears invading the forest floor. As we walked, a light wind wove through the tree trunks, and I listened to the faint rustle of forest life, punctuated by the occasional chirp of a bird. My peace would soon be interrupted. Shh! Edwin's eyes were wide and somehow crazier than usual. I can hear him! We came to a halt, and I was shocked to find that he was right. In the distance up ahead, a faint rustle of footsteps could be heard. Edwin carefully removed his shoes and frantically motioned for me to do the same. We began pressing forward, quickly but quietly, as Edwin drew his hunting rifle. Heart racing, I tried to make sense of the situation. Certainly the noise wasn't Bigfoot, I knew that, but several long days in the wilderness with Edwin had blurred the lines of truth and fiction in my mind. A small part of me believed we were about to discover the Sasquatch, that elusive creature, that furry fiend. Edwin and I scrambled up a final hill, pausing at the top expectantly as we scanned the terrain ahead. There he was, a hundred feet ahead, walking slowly away from us. The creature was tall, covered entirely in long, matted fur. From this distance, I couldn't exactly judge the foot size, but surely they were massive. It's him, Edwin whispered reverently. For a moment, both of us were frozen in place, eyes following every slow footfall of the beast. Then Edwin raised his gun, the barrel shaking, then quivering, then still. He fired, and Bigfoot collapsed. Ah, what the hell? A voice rang out through the forest. I realized to my horror that it was coming from Bigfoot. I stumbled down the hill in a panic, Edwin behind me. As I approached Bigfoot's body, he rolled over, and I realized he was, in fact, a hunter decked out in a full ghillie suit. He was bleeding. What the hell? The hunter winced in pain. Why did you shoot me? A slowly expanding lake of red was forming on his chest, drops of blood falling faster and faster to the dirt. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, we thought... You were, he, he thought, never mind. What can I, I stumble over my words, my hands flailing as I try to find something to do. Stop the bleeding. Was I supposed to press on the wound? You're not Bigfoot. What is this? Edwin was less concerned. You damn fool. You're the one we've been tracking. The hunter groaned, his breathing slowing. I knelt beside him, placing my hands hesitantly on the bloody area. Wincing, the hunter looked at me with eyes already dimming and spoke his final words. <laughs> I wear size sevens, you fucking idiots. And then he was gone. <laughs> so now you know exactly how I got here. A series of very bad decisions. Tossing a final bit of dirt over my shoulder, I stepped back to inspect my work. It was passable. I had decided on a grave after realizing that we couldn't carry him all the way back to civilization, and I didn't want to just leave him for the birds. I rolled the hunter into the hole and began shoveling the soil back over his body. As he was slowly submerged in dirt, I felt an incredible weight on me for this man's death. I hoped he didn't have a wife or kids. Mostly, I felt anger at Edwin. When I got back to camp, he was where I left him, sitting against a tree trunk, in full Wonka attire, moping. I marched over to my tent, quickly took it down, and stuffed it in my backpack. Let's go, I told Edwin. We're leaving now, going back. No. What do you mean, no? Bigfoot is still out there. This was b but a momentary setback. Momentary setback? A man died, Edwin. You killed someone. 
It was his own damn fault fooling me like that. Actually, Edwin, it's your fault. It's called murder, and that's what they're going to call it in court. And one more thing, there is no Bigfoot. Edwin raised his eyes to mine, and I saw his were hard and determined. He stood, brushing off his suit jacket disdainfully. Well then, I must ask for what is rightfully mine, your journal of writing, Dale. I retrieved the journal from my bag and shoved it into his hands. And now, Edwin declared, we must part ways. You have proven a traitor and a scoundrel. He spun around and walked a few paces before pausing for one final Wonka quote. Good day, sir. With that, Edwin Winterson walked off, disappearing into the forest. To my knowledge, he was never seen again. It took me several days, but I found my way back to civilization, a compass my only guide, protein bars my only sustenance. I wandered into a small town and walked directly into the first fast food restaurant I found. The cashier, evidently phased by my wild look, gasped when I pulled out a wad of $2,000 from my bag to pay for my food. Long story, I said. As I sat consuming a multitude of cheeseburgers and fries, the events of the past few days took on in my mind a suddenly comical tone. I couldn't help but laugh at the absurdity of it all. Even Edwin, who I had so recently condemned in anger, I now recalled largely in fond hilarity. Everything seemed so whimsically distant from reality that I could hardly believe the murder or any of it was real. It all played out in my memory like a fantastical narrative. This was the moment I had been waiting for. My writer's brain was operational again, a flood of urgent ideas washing over me. I frantically retrieved a napkin from the table and a pen from my bag. I wrote. The Mad Hunter, a novel, was my first full-length work of fiction. To my delighted surprise, it flew off the shelves and quickly made the New York Times bestseller list. To this day, I am constantly asked about the artistic process, why I chose to merge a grounded protagonist with such a whimsical, absurd character as Edward, Bigfoot Hunter. A little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men, I say with a smile. The end. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in here at Worldview Short Stories. Tune in again to hear another great story from students here at the Abbey. Uh, please consider subscribing for more content. And if you're listening here on Spotify, hit that follow button. Thank you.